Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And on this week's episode, we will be recapping Premier League Game Week 8, as well as talking about the MLS playoff race as usual. And of course, we'll be reviewing the highly anticipated Quakes at LAFC match, which we were both um, in attendance at. Unfortunately for my Quakes, didn't quite go our way, but we will discuss that later. Justin, for now, let's start in England with the Premier League. First game of the weekend, Liverpool at Vicarage Road facing against Watford. Um, and they just took them. Oh, they destroyed them, didn't they? Yeah, they were. They really did. I mean, this was a outclassed uh, Watford side. Liverpool from the kick were all over them, creating chance after chance. Uh, Watford didn't created their best chance in the 75th minute or something like that with Cucho Hernandez chance, and they hadn't created really anything up until then. Um, it was a, obviously Firmino got the hat trick. Salah with a uh, peach of an assist for Mane's uh, first goal with the outside of his left boot, uh, as well as scoring another just sensational sing- solo goal, uh, turning defenders inside out th- uh, and throwing Craig Cathcart to the ground. Um, I mean, it's hard to say that there's anybody in better form in the world right now than Mohamed Salah. So, I mean, this was a fantastic performance from Liverpool all around, completely dominant. Uh, 77% possession, just complete domination from Liverpool and showing where they are still title contenders and people should not be counting them out. They are a fantastic team um, with, I mean, they can score goals at will. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who would be counting them out. I, I mean, they're obviously very strong contenders. Well, I just mean, at the, I just mean at the beginning fair, of the but... season, City and Chelsea and United were probably the third in that so people were, I, I've always said, you know, Maybe, but Liverpool, not Liverpool are Certainly more contenders than United. I've always said Liverpool should I be think higher that contenders is, than that United. Definitely the case. Um, and Roberto Firmino is the one who's taking the match ball home a- after this game, but um, it should be Mohamed Salah. Yeah, you said the assist to Mane in the eighth minute, just wrapped the outside of his left boot around it. Perfect ball. Mane finishes into the bottom left-hand corner past Ben Foster. And then Salah's goal is, you know, almost deja vu from what we saw against City at Anfield. And then Firmino's hat trick, three tap-ins. So I wouldn't read too much into that one if I was anyone. Um, You know, I think, Justin, you know my opinion about Firmino. I think he's very overrated. But uh, let's not ruffle too many feathers with this one. Point being, uh, it's actually Claudio Ranieri's heaviest Premier League defeat um, of his career. First game at Watford, not a good start for him. Um, and, you know, Liverpool just continuing where they left off. Um, and, and you know, they're going to be very strong contenders. I think it's, a, it's really a three-horse race at the moment, and anyone could win it. And with that, Justin, moving on to one of the other teams in that three-horse race, it's your Manchester City who faced off against Burnley at the Etihad. Talk us through it. Yeah, a pretty good performance from City overall. Uh, Bernardo Silva, Silva getting the first goal uh, off of a rebound from a Phil Foden shot. And uh, it, it took a while to get the second, honestly. Um, it's, it's, as a City fan, sometimes when you watch 1-0, you're sitting there against a team like Burnley, who are mostly sitting back. 
and you just feel get that second and put this game away. Don't let them, you know, shite house a, a draw and get a one one draw. And you know, it ha- happens sometimes where City will do that, and so it's it's a bit uh, nerve wracking. But uh, Kevin De Bruyne did finish um, in the seventieth minute to make it two nil with a, a really nice goal, really good finish into the bottom left corner. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty good performance overall. I mean, other than what I was just saying about, you know, that little worry, it's pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say the front three were fantastic. Uh, Foden would be the best of the three. Um, create, you know, he created that first goal as well, but yeah, front three weren't fantastic. Um, we didn't have Ruben Diaz starting, which is obviously rare. Um, but we did have the American Zach Steffen in goal uh, since Ederson was coming back from uh, Brazil. So he was not ready to go yet. Uh, and, and Stefan getting his first uh, Premier League clean sheet and getting his first uh, minutes at the Etihad, starting uh, at the Etihad in the Premier League. So a couple milestones for him, which is cool to see as an American. Yeah. Also notably was Jack Grealish's, uh, dropping from the side he was on the bench and did not make an appearance in this match um, which I know was bad for both of our fantasy teams considering I picked him up in my wild card game week seven you brought him in this week and then that's of course when Foden plays instead of him so Pep Roulette is in full effect Um, yeah yeah I decided to keep him I've, I've had Grealish since week one I decided to keep him in my wild card I was debating going to Foden which would have been helpful but Regardless, uh, more importantly, City got the 2-0 win uh, and, and kept pace with Chelsea and Liverpool, who are uh, Liverpool one point and Chelsea two points ahead uh, in, that, in that title race. So there were two very exciting games on Saturday, um, we'll, both at 7 o'clock during the same time as that City game. We'll talk about the one at the King Power Stadium first as Leicester took down Manchester United by a score of four to two, which with, I mean, it was a crazy back and forth game. The scoring was open uh, by Mason Greenwood with an absolute thumper on the left peg. Um, just kind of a, a goal that's already almost trademark for him. You know, it's what he does cuts in, cutting in from the right side and he hammered one off the inside of the post Casper Schmeichel, you know, arguably world-class goalkeeper, absolutely no chance. Um, but Yuri Tielemans, uh, equalized um, just about 10 minutes later with what looks like it might have been a cross, but he basically chipped one straight into the top bins, and De Gea didn't have a chance on that one, went right over his head into the top corner. Um, it would then be uh, Kagler Sorunchu who would score um, a tap-in from like a, a bouncing ball off a corner, but Marcus Rashford would equalize almost immediately um, on, on a breakaway after coming off the bench, his first appearance of the season for United. And then just moments after that, literally like 30 seconds, Jamie Vardy with a fantastic finish outside of the right foot to make it 3-2. Pat and Daka scored in stoppage time a tap-in to give the Foxes some insurance. You know, Leicester have been criticized a lot at the beginning of this season so far. Really a big win for them. And, you know, a lot, a lot is going to be made of Manchester United's defensive performance, especially in this game. Obviously, Varane injured. But it's just not looking like it's good enough from United, is it, Justin? And Ole is certainly on the hot seat. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, Leicester have uh, been criticized a lot because, I mean, we think of them as European contenders. They were competing for Champions League last Champions year. Champions League contenders, not even European. Well, They're in Europe every season at this point. But Champions League contenders, certainly. Yet sitting in 11th place right now. 
Yeah. Um, even after this win. So not fantastic beginning to their season, but as you say, uh, this is a red flag for Manchester United. Um, and there've been a couple of them this season. If you can, if you're scoring an equalizer in the 82nd minute and you concede straight from the kickoff, that's a mentality issue that there there's something there where you're not getting the job done. You're not working as a team to make sure that you're fighting for every last minute. I mean, you have seven more minutes to go to get a draw and potentially, you know, snatch a late winner. I'm sure Ronaldo's thinking that way, but the, the, the entire team and, and Pogba said it in an interview after the game, there's something missing. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, Pogba didn't play well himself, but it, it's, there's something missing. And to me, it starts with the manager. Um, I mean, I've been saying it for a year now, at least Ole should be gone. Um, but as a, as a City fan, obviously no complaints having him remain in the job. It just feels like he continues to you know, have a poor performance and then he'll have a bounce back game and then it just goes back and forth. And, and it felt like this would have been one of those bounce back games. And it, it was, again, one of those poor performances. So how, how long can this go on before, um, before Ole sacked? I saw uh, Adam McCullough, who's a huge Manchester United supporter, um, he said he doesn't expect Ole to be sacked until United are out of the top four race, which is ridiculous to me. He needs to be sacked much sooner than that. United should be aiming for a title, not for top four. Um, but we know that the, that's not the mentality of the Glazers. I mean, it should be, though. I think we all recognize this. I mean, this is the most successful club in the history of England, and they've just brought in, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all time. They brought in Jaden Sancho, one of the youngest talents in the world, you know, so highly rated. And then they've brought in Rafa Varane, who's won the Champions League four times for the biggest club on earth. You know, like, they should be doing a lot better than this. And I think Ole is just it's just clear who to point the finger at in my opinion, because you give any other manager in the top four, you know, you give this United squad to Klopp to Guardiola to Tuchel to even Brendan Rogers, you could make the argument for, and you're going to get a lot more out of this side than Ole is. I, and, you know, I saw a really good, I forget who this was from, but you know, United's wins this season have not been team victories. They've been individual quality, right? They have individual quality, and a lot of the time that will shine through. But when they play in a game against really tough opposition where they have to be cohesive as a unit in, you know, all phases of the game, going forward, going backwards, controlling the game in the middle of the field, finishing in the final third, being solid in their own third, they fail time after time because – the management just isn't up to scratch. So, I mean, yeah. I totally agree. I think the fact that Ole isn't gone yet just kind of shows how far United have declined as a club since Sir Alex Ferguson left. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy that David Moyes, who got thrown into, you know, what was a, a, a sinking ship after he left or after uh, Sir Alex Ferguson left, he got thrown into a sinking ship, you know, only made a couple signings and he was gone, I, you know, halfway through the season Ole is now in his like his third year been dropped out of the Champions League group stage twice and now has Ronaldo Varane Sancho has spent a ton of money still not getting good enough results yeah I think he should be gone ASAP if I'm a United fan I'm honestly fuming that he is not out already yeah and then 
it's uh, as you say, I mean, they struggle to defensively. They bring in one of the top center backs in the world, still struggling defensively to just simple back force. Uh, I mean, they didn't have him in this game, obviously, but right, right. But throughout the season and obviously, obviously it took him a minute to get there, but regardless, uh, another uh, when they're playing teams worse than them, they, they struggle breaking down a low block. I mean, only has, has admitted himself. He doesn't, he doesn't understand why they can't, break down a low block and that's i mean tactically that's on him and that's also on who i mean to be to be perfectly blunt has been a flop is sancho i mean he's come in and meant to you know help that creativity and help break down that low block but he hasn't been able to do anything now i will say i don't think this will he'll maintain this poor farm i think it'll come up but i was one to say you know the premier league is not the bundesliga he will not come in and just tear it up like many expected which he hasn't done um, so I'm sure he'll improve, but yeah, it, it's all around um, from United. We've seen, you know, Ronaldo obviously rescue a few, but it, it's a managerial problem. It's a tactical problem. And until that is solved, I am not afraid of Manchester United in a title race. Yeah. Zero goals, zero assists for Sancho in seven appearances. Now let's move on to one of the other thrillers of the day, what I'd argue probably was the best game of that day. It was a Birmingham Derby at Villa Park. Villa hosting Wolves, uh, a crazy game. Um, Danny Ings opened the scoring at the beginning of the second half in the 48th minute, um, just, you know, popping up and, and finishing in the box, what he does. And then John again made it 2-0. And at this point, you know, it looks like kind of the same old story for Wolves who have been you know, lacking a real cutting edge this season. Obviously, Raul Jimenez is back, but hasn't been quite the same as of yet. Got his first goal a couple of weeks ago against Southampton. But Wolves flipped the script entirely. Uh, two goals from center backs in, in the form of Saiz and Cody in the 80th and 85th minute, uh, you know, just out of nowhere makes it 2-2, and then in the 95th minute, Ruben Neves lines up to take a free kick. It caroms off Matt Target's back, completely wrong footing. Emmy Martinez nestles in the bottom corner, and you know the Wolves away end goes absolutely mental, beating Villa at Villa Park. And, and honestly, I think not enough is being made of the fact that you know when Grealish was sold, but then Ings, Bailey, Buendia all came in for Villa, You know people were really, really high on them. And, and right now, they're sitting in 13th on 10 points. You know, I, I think Dean Smith, there, there should be some questions asked because I think Villa just have not been good enough based on the investment that they had. And yes, they lost their best player, but they brought in three, you know, excellent players and, and they're just not performing. Well, Bailey's still injured, not, not, so he's not, not able to play yet. Um, and Buendia was uh, injured for the beginning of the season. He's now in the team, obviously, um, and did play uh, against Wolves. But yeah, I mean, I don't Ings think he, has... he. I was just gonna say, I don't think he's been worth the thirty-five mil they spent on him yet. But I think Buendia is a, a great player, so hopefully he'll turn that around. Yeah, and, and Ings has scored a few goals, so I think you know Ings has been the only one really worth the money so far. Yeah. But I I would expect Buendia to turn form uh, around, and Bailey, of course, has to come back from injury. Um, and and what would he he'd score off the bench um, when he when he did get a few minutes. So it's not like he looked terrible in the in a few minutes he was there. But as far as the result, yeah, I mean, this is the first time this season Wolves have been able to score three goals. Um, they've been struggling offensively uh, to bury goals, and so it, it's a good sign for them. Um, moving all into 10th place 
and and Villa, you know, down in 13th. So, I mean, I thought Wolves were going to struggle, and they were struggling at the beginning of the year. Um, and yeah. now they're, you know, in the top half. So, I think it's won a good sign for five. them. Yeah, yeah really. Four of their last five. You know, so they're, they're in good form. They beat Watford. Um, they lost to Brentford, obviously, um, and, and who are, you know, decent side still. But then their last three, they've, they've beaten Wolves. They've beaten New – or sorry, beaten Wolves. They've beaten Southampton. They've beaten Newcastle, and they've, and they've now beaten Villa. So all kind of teams who, are, who were in and around the, the same spots as them, and so that's pushed them up into now the top half. Yeah, I mean – it is. It has to be said that those those three wins were all fifteenth place or lower. Um, but but yeah, I mean Villa is is a good win. I mean that's, that's where why, that's where they were sitting though at the time. So at the time, right, right, exactly. So it's it's pushing them above there, and then it's and then you're beating Villa. You're saying, well, now I'm a mid table team. Uh, so that that's what it's looking like for them. Um, their next game up is Leeds, who we will talk about uh, coming up, who, who haven't been very good. So we can see they they should really win that game. Um, if if they're a mid-table team right now. So we'll see there. I think that's a perfect transition. Let's talk about Leeds, who went to the South Coast to take on Southampton at St. Mary's and lost 1-0 thanks to Armando Broja's first goal in the Premier League. Um, and Justin, we were, we were talking about this just before we started recording, but, you know, I think Leeds, you know, have been very poor. They're sitting in 17th right now. Points-wise, they're the worst team in the league, not called Norwich, Newcastle, and Burnley. And if you're Leeds, that's not the company that you want to be with. You know, those are three teams who all seem very likely to be going down. Maybe Newcastle less so now that they are quite literally the richest football club on earth. But, um, you know, even still, Leeds coming off of a ninth-place finish, you know, Bielsa stays yet they've almost fallen off a cliff. Their only win this season was against Watford, who we know are poor. We already talked about the fact they got destroyed this week and they sacked their manager, you know, very prematurely, in my opinion, at least. So, I mean, I, I just think not. there's not enough talk about how poor Leeds have been. Yeah, I, I see your point there because, you know, drawing Burnley, drawing Newcastle, and losing to Southampton are three results that, you know, you're not looking for because, as you say, that's not the company that you're looking to keep. Um, Burnley and Newcastle being the two spots right below them. So, yeah, I do. But I also think, you know, we expect them to lose to United. We expect them to to lose to Liverpool. Uh, they beat Watford. We expect them to lose to West Ham probably. I don't know about expect them. At home, I don't know about expecting that. And that was a 90th-minute winner. They They collapsed. They actually had the lead in that game and then threw it away. Yeah, but I, I mean, West Ham, if they're, you know, competing for those those European spots, should be winning those games. So it's, I mean, it's whoever wins those games is really the one going to compete for those European spots. As far as, you know, and, and then obviously they drew Everton, uh, which I'm sure you believe Everton should have won. But we, we should have. But regardless, I mean, so yeah, a couple bad results. Um, but I, in my opinion, I think that. You know, it's still early. I think that Leeds will recover and finish somewhere in that mid-table. Um, but yeah, I mean, after last season, it's not, last season they finished, what, ninth? So uh, definitely, you know, a downturn from that as, as of right now. But I think they'll recover and, and finish somewhere in that mid-table range. 
I don't think that they'll be in a relegation fight this year. So I, I think it might be a little early still, but I, I see what you're saying. There needs to be, uh, we need to look at that and we need to see, you know, if they, if they can't turn it around relatively quickly, then questions need to be asked immediately. We said they have wolves next. That'll be an interesting game. Um, if they could get points from that, that, and then after that, they have uh, Norwich that, which has to be a win. So we'll, we'll see uh, there as well. And, you know, obviously one thing about Leeds is, yes, Bamford has missed quite a few games, but Everton, you know, have eight more points despite the fact that both Richarlison and DCL have been injured, you know, for five out of the eight games at this point. Um, we'll talk about Everton a little bit later. Before we do that, um, let's talk about the other two games on Saturday. Quickly, Norwich drawing nil-nil with Brighton. Absolute snooze fest, snooze fest at Carroll Road. We were debating about whether it was a good point for Norwich last week against Burnley. This is undoubtedly a good point for them against Brighton. Um, but I think this is kind of signs of Brighton's weakness now. This is back-to-back nil-nil draws as, you know, they were unable to score against Arsenal in, in, the, in their last game at home, you know, and Arsenal were not playing particularly well in that game whatsoever. So Brighton, I think, you know, obviously we're sitting in, in fourth and people are talking about them as European contenders. I think this kind of shows you against the worst team in the league, they were unable to break through despite having 65% possession. They only they had the same amount of shots on target as Norwich despite having 65% possession. So I think that tells you something that Brighton are, are kind of still having some of the same problems as last year. And we talk about the fact that they have 50 mil burning a hole in their pocket that they got from Ben White and they, they just didn't buy a striker when, you know, I think the whole universe understands that Brighton need a striker. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, we talked about it, as you said, 50 mil burning a hole in their pocket, but this is a, a good point for Norwich. As you say, um, it's, it's one of those results where it's, it's not good for Brighton at all. Obviously they're, if they want to be European contenders, which is what should be their goal at this point, sitting in fourth place, um, it, it's not a good result. It's worst team in the league. They shouldn't. They should be winning, uh, e- even away. But um, it's not one that surprises you either, because we know Bur- we know uh, Brighton. We know uh, how they were last year. Uh, they they couldn't you know score all of their xG, and we think that they're not going to be as good. But so so that's why it's not a surprising result. Uh, when I when I saw you know the result, I wasn't like, wow, it's a shocking draw for Norwich, but it's still a result that, as you say, says maybe Brighton aren't going to be those European contenders. Maybe their their start to the season is just a little bit insane, and they're going to fall off. So it, it is an indicator of that. So ho- hopefully, it's not true. I l- I like seeing you know a team shock us and have an incredible season like uh, Sheffield did a couple years ago when you just don't expected it's, it's fun well that's but, Brentford right now I think well yeah they're in ninth I, I, I personally I, I thought Brentford would do pretty well I, I if we go back to our prem predictions I thought they would do uh, fairly well so maybe maybe to other people it's a little bit more surprising than myself for Brentford but yeah that's well, a good top, point. top half you didn't have them anywhere near the top half but well you had them 15th or something like that I think I had them 13th or 14th yeah but um but regardless yeah it's it's one where it's a, it cast doubt on Brighton's ability to maintain this form. And we say it's a good point for Norwich. Realistically, it doesn't change anything at all. Uh, if they don't start winning a lot of games fast, like, you know, th- they could be one of the earliest teams relegated 
um, at least in, in recent history. Do I think that they're going to be as bad as that Darby team who finished on 14 points? Uh, no, probably not, just because I think a lot of teams will, will probably start to underestimate them, and Norwich will probably pick up a couple wins. But in terms of a draw here, they needed a win here you know, to change anything about the fact that they're getting relegated, they know they're getting relegated, and we all know that they're getting relegated. So... Talking, speaking of Brentford, let's move on to that game um, at the Brentford Community Stadium. They hosted Chelsea, um, and this was a shite house from Thomas Tuchel's men. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. Um, they got dominated in this game. I mean, not in possession, but seven shots on target to one in Brentford's favor. You look at the XG, Chelsea's XG was like, what, 0.2 or something like that? Um, so it was Ben Chilwell's goal uh, and really well taken finish his, his kind of second in consecutive match weeks now, cause he had a nice goal um, beforehand as well. But uh, yeah, Chelsea, I don't know how they got away with this. They created, here's a stat for you. They created 0.02 XG in the second half against Brentford. They had 0.28 in the entire match to Brentford's 1.88 and Brentford didn't score and Buemo hitting the post twice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I said it to you when we saw this result. It is, I mean, Chelsea are glorified Burnley. They are, they are a shite house team. They sit back and they defend in a five back and they will counterattack. And yeah, they'll have sometimes, but uh, against, against teams that aren't as good because they have good players, but they're not creating the chances. As you say, one shot on target. I mean, you have to bury that. You have to be extremely clinical to win this game with one shot on target versus uh, Brentford seven uh, shots, five to 17. It's, it's one of those games that Chelsea continue to shite house. They, they continue to do it, honestly. And it's Tuchel ball and it's working because they have a, a fantastic goalkeeper who had a fantastic game. Um, and, you know, they have a pretty solid back line who are, good at uh, not conceding goals, even if they concede chances somehow. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's one of those things where you feel like everyone's hyping Chelsea up and they keep shithousing these wins and eventually they have to fall off, right? But will they? I don't know. It's, it, it's so weird because they continue to do it and it continues to work, but it's, it's a philosophy that doesn't make much sense. Yes, parking the bus is, is a popular idea, but when you're... L- getting dominated like Chelsea were in XG, you shouldn't be consistently winning. Um, as you said, I mean, Chelsea had 0.28 XG compared to Brentford's 1.88. So, I mean, nearly two goals to a quarter of a goal XG. I mean, that is a large, large difference. Um, and all the stats besides possession will tell you that Brentford were the better side and deserve that at least a draw, if not, if not a win there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, to me, it says Brentford are, are, are a good team. Um, and it continues to cast doubt on Chelsea. I said it in our last episode, or I think it was two episodes ago, actually, um, because when they had, they lost to the city and then they lost to Juve. I mean, neither of those were, were good performances. Um, and this wasn't a good performance either. They may have gotten the win here, but, not a good performance from Chelsea, a very good performance from Benford. Yeah, but I will, I mean, just playing devil's advocate, 
it, it it's working for the most part. I mean, in the, in the Juve game, well, well, here, and here's what I'll say. In the Juve game, they were actually parking the bus, or they were not parking the bus, sorry. Juve were parking the bus, and Chelsea lost. And so, I mean, in this game, they, you cannot say that they were parking the bus. They had 56% possession. They just couldn't create many chances, and Brentford were burning them on the break. Brentford were kind of doing a Chelsea to Chelsea, which is what we were talking about Juve. So Chelsea weren't parking the bus in this game, at least. They do do it sometimes. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, they have been clinical enough in the past to, to make that plan work. And if it isn't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, Chelsea are still sitting top of the table, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they are a point, ahead of, a point ahead of Liverpool, two points ahead of City. Since Tuchel came in, they've been the best team in the league. I, I don't think, you know, it, it, I don't think you can really dispute that. I mean, City, I guess, up there second. But the statistics themselves, Chelsea, especially defensively, I mean, yes, they should have conceded, but they didn't. Edward Mendy is unreal. He's just so good. Um, and and I, I honestly do think right now he's a top five goalkeeper in the world just with the way that he's playing. Um, and that's part of why Chelsea can, can get away with playing like this. But I did see Doogie Critchley on Twitter just talking about, you know, do Chelsea have a chance creation problem right now? I'd say yes, because I don't think Mason Mount is playing at the levels that he was last year. Ziyech is injured. Pulisic is injured as always, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, you know, Havertz, I wouldn't say is you know, a chance creator. He's kind of actually more of a, of a scoring, you know, a goal scorer himself, I think, you know, in, in opposed to a chance creator. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think to Chelsea, uh, you know, do they need maybe another creative player in, in the winter window, preferably one that can stay fit, um, you know, potentially, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, with the amount of money Chelsea has spent, if they need to spend more money, it's it's a problem. I mean, they have a ridiculous amount of players in that attacking positions, as you say. Mount, Havertz, uh, Chilwell, I'm sorry, Chilwell, Pulisic, um, Werner. Werner. Yeah, and they started Loftus-Cheek in this game. They have Callum Hudson-Odoi. Who, Ross Barkley's been coming off the bench the last couple games, I will just say. Tells yeah, you how I mean, much... Tells you how much that Saul's debut made uh, Tuchel just not like him immediately. Hakim Ziyech. I mean, there's there's a yeah, well, ton of injured. players. Well, right. So it's Pulisic. But it's when you have a lot of those players, they're not all going to be healthy all the time. Um, obviously, both Ziyech and Pulisic have recurring issues. But yeah, I mean, that's enough players that you should be able to find some creativity um, in there, and, and they can't find it. Uh, Lukaku is the one who's who's meant to finish them off, and he's been pretty good. Um, but you gotta you gotta provide him chances. Uh, in Four order to straight so. without a goal, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's his fault. He should have scored last time out against Southampton, hit the post from three yards, and then you know that ended up uh, leading to Chilwell's goal in that game. But I don't know, man. It's just you look at their at their team, and they have very solid players. But do they have an out and out chance creator like? You know, your Kevin De Bruyne, like your Bruno Fernandez, like your, I'd even say Mo Salah, even though, you know, he's a forward, but he still, you know, creates a, a ridiculous amount of chances. So I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see. Um, and I do think if Mount gets back um, into his best form, Chelsea will be totally fine. But yeah, interesting result. Let's move on to Sunday now. We'll start Jeez. with my club, Everton versus West Ham. Um, we lost 1 0 at home. 
Angelo Ogbonna scoring a goal from a corner. It was a pretty uninspired performance from us. Um, there was just giant DCL and Richarlison size holes in, in our team. I mean, we should have had a goal in the first half. Damari Gray, yet again, our best player. He's just so consistent. And despite the fact that he has basically no help up top because Rondon has been, you know, next to useless um, in, in the games that he's played. But Damari Gray created a, put it on a plate for uh, Alex Awobi and he completely missed the ball. So it doesn't even go on the XG or anything. doesn't even count as a shot because Awobi just straight whiffed it. I'm getting very fed up with Alex Awobi. I won't lie. Um, Damari Gray, you know, doing what he does, but then it was Ogbonna scoring a header from a corner. Uh, just really poor defending from us. Yuri Mina absent from the squad, you know, because he was playing, I think he played all three games for Columbia during the international window. So, um, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate result. We didn't play well. You look at the stats, 61% possession for West Ham, four shots on target to R2, 16 shots to R15. Like, that's not horrible, but um, I'm not going to take too much from it just due to the fact that, you know, R2, I'd say, apart from Damari Gray, obviously, our, our two most influential players going forward in, in DCL and Richarlison remain out. Uh, Rafa actually spoke today about the timeline for their return. Seems like Richarlison will be back sooner than DCL, but we really need both of them back immediately um, because, you know, this was just so poor going forward. I didn't think Townsend was very good. Uh, Rondon is, as I said, just not providing anything. So, yeah, disappointing result for us. For West Ham, it's it's a big win for them, I think. You know, Goodison Park is never a, an easy place to win necessarily, you know, even when we have a bit of a depleted squad, you know, last couple games, uh, the Goodison crowd has really carried Everton through. But um, yeah, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's it's a good result for West Ham. It pushes West Ham right above Everton um, on goal difference, uh, both on 14 points. West Ham now in seventh with Everton right behind them on eight in eighth. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those you know, European six pointers, the winner is looking better for European spots, looking more a contender Um, Everton making, maybe looking a little bit outside right now. Um, But, you know, both teams with a lot of ability to improve and and move into that spot. Um, So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for sure uh, to see West Ham, especially away uh, winning that game, because I would expect them to win it at home probably, or, you know, definitely not lose it, uh, but winning away at Goodison shows that they are, you know, still a European contender um, and, and will fight for those spots this season. But, yeah, but at the same time, they, they basically had their they, – they did have their first-choice lineup. Like, I'm not sure who they were if, – if they were – I don't think they were missing anyone really in this game. They had Antonio Rice, Suchek, Ben Rama – Bowen, Fornals, obviously, you know, kind of a couple of those midfielders are a bit interchangeable with Vlasic, Lanzini, Yarmolenko on the bench. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, Everton's squad is still very depleted. Some very important players missing. You know, our best center back in Mina, Richarlison and DCL. So as much as it is a good point for West Ham, I don't think you can count Everton out of the European race yet. Definitely not. Um, Definitely you know, not. And we'll see, but we'll see how we play when those players come back. The fact that I've, I've said it multiple times, I'm still happy with the amount of points that we've picked up. 
you know, during the absence of Richarlison and DCL, because honestly, it's going to be, you know, how well can we do until they get back? And then from there, I, I think we'll be fine. But yeah, moving on to the yeah. only other game on that day. Or do you have, you have some, you have one more thing to say? No, that, yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. We can move oh. on to the, uh, another very exciting game, obviously, yeah, really. between Spurs, Spurs uh, and Newcastle uh, at St. James's Park. Callum Wilson opened the scoring with a nice finish cutting right in front of his defender in the second minute to open the scoring for Newcastle uh, in Dombele leveled it in the 17th minute with a really beautiful finish. Um, and then Kane broke his scoring drought. Finally uh, in the 22nd minute, he thought he was offside uh, mm-hmm. on his, on his run. Uh, I believe Reguillon played the ball, very nice ball um, to Kane over the top who no, it was, it was Hoybeard. Hoybier, thanks for the correction. Yeah, Hoybier playing a beautiful ball over the top uh, to Kane. First time finish. Uh, I think, honestly, he probably had a little pressure off of him because, you know, I mean, he's the, the drought brings a little bit of pressure for him to score a goal, but he thought he was offside, so no pressure finishing that on a first time, you know, dink over the keeper. Uh, and then uh, he provides an assist for Son uh, at the end of the uh, first half. So What a goal that was, by the way. Yeah, absolutely, from beautiful Lucas team to Kane. Football. Yeah, yeah. Lucas to Kane to Sun, uh, beautiful finish, looking like the the Kane Sun link up from last year. We that was you know incredible. Um, John Joe Shelby getting a second yellow to be sent off, and then Eric Dyer scoring an own goal to make it three <laughs> two, uh, which one of the most comical own goals I've seen in a long time. Yeah, bad own goal, but since we're mentioning his own goal, we do need to mention what he did positively, um, which is essentially save a fan's life. Um, him, him and Regulon stopping the game uh, when a fan had a cardiac arrest and, and getting him treatment very quickly to, to save his life, really. So well done there, but uh, on the own goal, not so much. Luckily for him, didn't end up mattering uh, as far as the result. 3-2 win for Spurs, um, getting, the, getting the three points that they needed at St. James's Park. What were your thoughts on this one, Garrett? I mean, you know, Callum Wilson scores two minutes in it's Newcastle's first game after the takeover. You know, they've been wanting rid of Mike Ashley for God knows how long. And you kind of at that moment, like if you were a Spurs fan, I'm sure your heart just absolutely dropped because you thought, you know, this could end like four nil Newcastle. The atmosphere is unreal, but you know, credit to Spurs. I honestly thought that they were going to lose this game even before Callum Wilson scored in the second minute. Um, but they had really good resolve. As you said, Inzambelli's finish on that goal was just fantastic. It was almost nonchalant. But then, you know, next thing you know, it's in the top corner. And uh, Darlow, I believe it was, yeah, just, you know, watching it fly into his top corner, pick that one out. Um, and, and then Kane's goal, yeah, you know, pretty funny way to end his drought. He couldn't believe it when VAR actually overturned the decision of offside on the field. Uh, he was in disbelief. But you could see how much – it meant to that whole Spurs team and the way that they, you know, all surrounded him and stuff. Cause you know, I, there's been a lack of coverage about the fact that, you know, this is the guy who led the league and goal in goals and assists last year, hadn't scored through seven games, finally scores a goal. And then Hyungman Sun's goal in, in first half stoppage time, as I said, what a goal, just beautiful team play. Um, yeah. And in terms of the Kane Sun link up, I think it's now they're only one behind Drogba and Lampard for most goals, um, assisted and scored by two players, you know, either way around, um, obviously. So good result for them. In, in terms of, I, I just have to say, I was, I've taught, I have a few fans who are Spurs or a few friends who are Spurs fans. And uh, 
Eric Dyer is just not good enough for Tottenham Hotspur, man. He's just really not. I know you've, and I'm going to expose you a little bit here, Justin. I know you're, you've been a bit of an Eric Dyer apologist in the past, but you look at that own goal, man. He's just a clown sometimes. And yeah, fair play, okay? Him and Regalon did a good thing, helped out a fan. But if we're talking about football, Eric Dyer should not be on that pitch. He just really shouldn't. I, I think he's nowhere near good enough. The Spurs fans I've talked to are sick of him. So I just have to say that own goal just cracked me up because, you know, he does something good and then doesn't ruin it, obviously, because some things are more important than football. But, you know, then goes and just scores a just horrible own goal. Uh, I just couldn't help but chuckle at that one. Well, as you say, um, what do you mean by a dire apologist? I said last season that they didn't have a better uh, center back to put in his spot. Um, they started uh, Sanchez and Dyer last year. Now they have Romero, obviously, um, and they're starting Dyer over Sanchez. So maybe maybe there's an argument for that to be made. But yeah, I mean, if if they can get better center backs in, maybe so. But unfortunately for them, they they may not have it. No, I, no, I'm not letting you get away with this, Justin, because you told me that he would start for Everton every game. You told me that I will. I can find the receipts after this recording. No chance does Eric Dyer get an Everton squad. Last season, yeah. Last se- last season, yes. With Godfrey, no chance. No with Godfrey chance. in good form, probably. But uh, no, even but. even even with Godfrey, you still he, you don't play him over Keen or Mina. No chance. Over Keen, probably. Keen, Keen's not no. good, man. Keen is not a good player. He's. I'd say he's just as good as as Eric Dyer, and even then, then throw Mason Holgate in there. But Godfrey, but it's Godfrey and Mina. The only reason Godfrey isn't playing center back right now is that he's been playing right back because of Seamus Coleman's injury. But now Seamus Coleman came back, and look, Godfrey got thrown in at center back. So there you go. I mean, if you, if you prefer Keane to Dyer, go ahead. I prefer Dyer to Keane. Keane has made okay. either way, mistake Godfrey after starts, mistake. Either, to, either way, to, Godfrey starts over Dyer, so it doesn't matter. Godfrey and Mina both are significantly better than Eric Dyer. So your statement's still wrong. I said last year before Godfrey was in his, in, it, turning into good form. Yes, I said that. I, like I said, you did Godfrey, not say it was... before Godfrey. Okay, we'll discuss this more off the pod. But no, no problem. No problem on or off the pod. I would choose Godfrey over Dyer. I would choose Dyer over Keen. I'll be very clear about it. No problems here. You're not. Cho- you're not choosing Dyer over Mina, though, are you? No. Okay, good. I'm choosing Dyer over Keen. So when Keen okay. starts for Everton, as he continues to do, I would only because Eric Mina Dyer always gets him. injured. It's it's still Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer would not start in a fit Everton 11 ever. So anyway, let's move on to the final game of the week, which was today, Justin, um, at the Emirates, uh, uh, another crazy game. And we had a lot of really entertaining matches this week. Uh, the Premier League treated us on, on its return after an international break that felt like forever. Um, it was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who opened the scoring in the eighth minute. It was a shot from Nicola Pepe, which was well saved by, Vincente Guaita, but Aubameyang was there on the back post to tap it in, which, you know, wasn't actually the easiest finish. Managed to get the outside of his right boot on it and hook it into the net. Arsenal go up 1-0. Feel good factors back. And then James MacArthur, Justin, somehow avoiding getting sent off. I mean, there was, I saw a debate about this, but for me, it, it, it is a red card. Um, the hack that he had on Saka, which did end up injuring him. Saka had to come off at halftime. But the ball's up in the air. And then MacArthur just comes in and just completely whacks at Saka's planted leg. I mean, we're talking potential leg breaker here. So Palace were very fortunate to still have all 11 men on the pitch. And then Christian Benteke, of all people, 
uh, gets through in on goal. Really good finish from him. And in the bottom right-hand corner, there was a big inquest about whether Thomas Party was fouled um, in what was the giveaway to give Benteke the ball and, and the goal. And then Palace take the lead through that man, Odison Edward. Um, you know, a, a bit of a deflected shot, I believe, off the bottom of the crossbar. Ramsdale, you know, some questions of, of him being able to save it or not. Um, but... You know, 2-1 Palace, and at this point, the Arsenal fans on my timeline were losing their minds, and it was quite hilarious. But in the 95th minute, it's Alexandre Lacazette, you know, actually 30 seconds or so past the uh, minimum uh, amount of allotted stoppage time, um, manages to tap home a rebound after Ben White's shot hit Martinelli, which then hit uh, Guaita, and then comes to Lacazette. I know you were fuming because you thought you were going to get a Ben White assist on FPL, and you didn't. But, I mean... Justin, what are your thoughts on this? Because it, I, just quickly before you go, I want to say, you know, the attitude, you know, before Alex Lacazette's goal versus after is a bit ridiculous. I think either way, Arteta needs to be criticized for this because, you know, Arsenal are should not be barely scrapping a draw at home against Palace with a very fortunate 95th minute winner. I, I still just don't think Arteta's the man for Arsenal. I just don't. Well, that, that's another debate. But as far as this performance, I mean, Arsenal looked really, really the first 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, really dominant. And then, uh, you know, they're up 1-0, and then it just it turned. Palace, for the last half hour of the first half, were controlling the game. They probably deserved a goal during that time. Um, and they ended up getting that goal at the beginning of the second half through Benteke. But... Yeah, I mean, and then in the second half, they were they were the better side for pretty much the entire half. Uh, obviously, Lacazette, you know, stealing the the draw, um, as you say. But and it's it's Arsenal's really best eleven. That that's that's what really stood out to me. Yeah, is that this is uh, in, to my memory the first time they've had their best eleven on the pitch. I mean, Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Thomas, Odegaard, Pepe, Smith Rowe, Saka, and Aubameyang. The only person that you could make an argument makes it cracks in that uh, best 11 is probably Lacazette who scored the equalizer. Saka um, did go off at halftime. I, I will say. And I do think that did kind of change the game a little bit because palace were getting a lot more freedom after Saka was off the pitch. Well, I mean, I think palace were the better side for the last 30 minutes of, of the first half when Saka was still on the pitch. So you're not, yeah, wrong. Maybe, you're not wrong. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe it, it definitely didn't help our uh, arsenal, obviously. Um, yeah, but you know, Lacazette's not a bad replacement on that on that wing. So, I, I that that's what really stood out to me is that this is we we saw you know Arsenal perform really really well against Spurs I, for the first ten or fifteen minutes. That's what we were seeing that that Arsenal playing really well, and I thought that it would I thought they would win comfortably, maybe three nil three one. Yeah, me too. Uh, based on that first ten or fifteen minutes, and then it just it just flipped. I mean, the the energy was lost. I mean, the, the energy that Aubameyang showed uh, uh, for his first goal and f- just the mentality seemed to, to shift for him personally. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was very interesting the way that it just shifted towards Palace controlling the game. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, definitely Arsenal need to improve and definitely Arteta needs to uh, get things together because it, it, he shows those glimpses of a quality team that can play really, really beautiful football but it's never consistent and, and less than consistent. I mean, 20% of the time we see it. 
Yeah. And then from Palace's point of view, I mean, this is a really good performance for them. Uh, I did at, at full time say, oh, you know, they were unlucky not to win, which, you know, they conceded 95th minute equalizer. You look at XG and, you know, it, you know, it was actually significantly in Arsenal's favor, 1.84 to 0.53 for Palace. Um, 0.53 does seem a bit low because I like the Benteke chance, you know, was, it was a good chance. I guess Edward's goal was, was more a quality finish. I said it was deflected. I'm actually wrong. That was in another game where there was one that was top spin off the bar. Also, we forgot to mention that Kieran Tierney, um, hit the crossbar very late on, you know, past the 85th minute, I believe something like that. Um, and that could have very easily been a goal and then Arsenal could have won it, but, from Palace's point of view, solid point for them. You know, there's glimpses under Vieira, you know, that they could be successful. I think Benteke and Edward both scoring is is a good sign for them. Uh, you know, they, they're going to need players to be consistently scoring um, in, in, if they want to, you know, comfortably finish, which I, I think they will. I, I still don't think that they're going to be in danger of relegation. And especially when you consider the fact that they had this performance at the Emirates, which, you know, was very buoyant, especially in the first 15 minutes, because Arsenal were completely on top. And they did this all without Wilfred Zaha in the squad whatsoever. So from Palace's point of view, I think it's, it's, a, it's quite a decent point. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and with that, I think we can conclude our Prem coverage and move on yeah. to uh, MLS, where you know we had a lot of a lot of big games uh, happening, but not necessarily a lot of actual action or movement in the table, because I mean w- the playoff race has really been from from fifth to about tenth place, right? From RSL through San Jose, um, and, and we had a bunch of games with teams within those uh, places and not a single movement because uh, as we will discuss later, LAFC got that win that we were in attendance for. Um, so, so maintained, you know, the lead over San Jose widening the gap a little bit, but above them in eighth, Vancouver won, Minnesota in eighth, I mean, seventh one galaxy in sixth one RSL in fifth one. It's, it was, it was one of those times where it's like you think you're going to uh, move up the table when you get a win, but then every other team in front of you wins and you gain nothing. You just don't lose pace. Um, so yeah, we can, Minnesota uh, got the win um, against Austin. They should be getting that win uh, at Q2 stadium. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. The only no. surprising thing may be that it's only one nil um, Austin, you know, concede a lot of goals. Uh, so, and, and Minnesota maintain their, their spot in seventh, as I just mentioned, um, while RSL get the three, one win over Colorado, that might be a little bit surprising. It was at home, but Colorado are in third, having a fantastic year. Um, they're, they were aiming, you know, for that first spot, which may look a little bit out of, out of reach now. Uh, but yeah, a big win for RSL, keeping them in fifth, uh, keeping, you know, I, I mean, if they lose that game, they're out of the playoff spots. They're behind uh, Vancouver would, would take that seventh spot and they'd be all the way down in eighth, but with the win, they're in fifth. That's how close um, this, this playoff race is right. Uh, Galaxy. If I can the just win. quickly yeah, interject, ahead. Justin. Uh, I actually just noticed that, you know, so teams, we, we just mentioned uh, teams right above LAFC and San Jose, you know, fifth through eighth 
RSL, Galaxy, Minnesota, Vancouver, all won. Justin, first through fourth, all lost. The Sounders Well, well, that's what's so important. Yeah, 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 that's what's great, but that's what's because they were playing a lot of these teams, right? But that's still kind of a, a just a crazy fact, you know. KC lose to Vancouver, shock result, really bad for LAFC. Portland lose to Galaxy in the 95th minute or whatever it was, really bad result for LAFC. Real Salt Lake beat Galaxy. Colorado, really bad for LAFC, and then the Sounders lost to Houston. Like what? Uh, that it just kind of crazy results and. uh all bad for LAFC, and I would say bad for San Jose, but uh, it didn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because of the game that we will be talking about. Yeah, I mean, as I said, Minnesota was the one we, we would expect to win. Um, Houston, San Jose, Houston, Seattle, yes, a shocking result, um, but probably won't have much effect on the playoff race. No, it won't. Uh, and S- Seattle will very likely still lock up that first spot. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, RSL behind Colorado won the game. Galaxy behind Portland won the game. Vancouver well behind Kansas City won the game. Uh, so yeah, I mean these are these are teams that are looking for big wins and they're getting them, um, and and they're going to continue to need them throughout the rest of the season throughout these final five games um, because if they if they drop points at all, they're in trouble and they're probably not going to make playoffs simply based on that. I mean, it's going to be that close. It's going to be, this deadline day is going to be insane. Um, with, with the Western conference decision day, you mean? Yes. Decision day. Thank you. Uh, decision day will be a a wild day. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I think with that, we can move when we've been talking this whole time. Oh, bad for LAFC, bad for LAFC. Let's talk about what happened you know, we've been building up this game for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, we, we went to the game. It was a 12.30 uh, p.m. kickoff, so, you know, quite early. It was hot. Um, but LAFC's lineup, you know, quite depleted. Vela and, and Atuesta were both questionable. Neither of them played. Uh, Brian Rodriguez on the bench. Um, yet LAFC found a way to get all three points quickly, Justin, before I let you talk about what this means for LAFC or what it doesn't, uh, maybe more pertinently. I'll just say for, for the earthquakes, uh, this is season over now, especially with all those teams winning. We're now four points behind LAFC who are four points behind the playoff spot. So the quakes have no chance. And that's why, you know, the other teams above winning, I honestly don't really care because it means nothing for the quakes. Our season's over. In terms of LEFC, you know, this was a big win, and we talked about it on the podcast last week, and we talked about it on the Voices of the Black and Gold when we were, we were guests on, on the LAFC podcast last week. You know, talking about LAFC need to win this game. It could get them back into the playoff race, but not when all of these results happen. It, you know, LAFC, I guess they didn't lose ground, but you were hoping to make ground, and you didn't. So, Justin, talk us through the game and talk us through what it means or what it doesn't mean for LAFC moving forward. Yeah, well, uh, a 3-1 win, uh, obviously. Danny Musovsky opening the scoring in the third minute uh, with a really clinical finish off of back heel from Chicho Arango. Uh, back heel assist was, was very beautiful. Most people thought he, he took it a little bit too wide, and then he found a way to find Musovsky uh, and, and bury that. And then uh, Arango in the 28th minute drew a pen for himself, uh, the foul on Jutsen, I believe. Horrible and, tackle by Jutsen. Yeah. And, and, uh, Arango then buried the penalty himself. Um, Carlos Fierro 
then then equalized in the or not sorry not equalized but scored in the second half uh, to make it two one. Uh, San Jose played a lot better in the second half, got a lot uh, more into the game, uh, and, and were really threatening for that equalizer uh, at at two one until uh, Brian Rodriguez came on the pitch, uh, you know, beat Jackson Ewell to the ball, paced him down the line, and then served a, a platter ball right uh, for Chicho Arango to tap Goodness. it in. Yeah, couldn't for for his second. Uh, so Chicho Arango, man of the match, with a brace as well as an assist um, involved in all three goals, really, really showing that he is worth the money and worth the signing that we have uh, invested in him. He continues to uh, improve, and and a lot of people criticize him for you know scoring a lot of penalties, um, which is understandable. But he first of all is is drawing a couple of those penalties himself, which is notable and. In my opinion, the most important thing is he's not just a goal scorer. He is a chance creator, and he continues to show that um, his expected assists are nearly 0.3 a game. Uh, he, he should have probably five assists by now, but this was unfortunately his first assist for LAFC um, because his teammates have been un- unable to finish, whether that and be he's been taking the own, And he's been taking his own penalties as well, so... Well, I mean, that's not technically an assist, but yes. Um, oh, you mean yes, yes, because he's been drawing. Yeah, because he drew a couple yeah, yeah. of the penalties. So, yeah, so, so say Bella's yeah. on the pitch and Bella takes the pens, then he gets an assist, but. Not a technical one, but yes. No, it, yeah. I think in MLS, technically that is an assist in MLS. Oh, really? Interesting. Yes, it's not, it's not, just, it's not just like the Prem where it's a, where it's a FPL assist. <laughs> Yeah, because in the in in Europe that that's not given an yeah. assist. So interesting if it is an MLS. No, there, I mean, but you also know there's like MLS. There's they do things with like second assists and whatnot. Anyway, right. I will say on they on do. on on Arango's second goal, it, it, for me it is still like a bit of a write off. Like I think two one is a more ref, more accurate like reflection of the game because I yeah I do think the Quakes had definitely the better of the second half. Uh, Cifuentes did miss, you know, a good chance in the first half and a good chance in the second. But the fact of the matter Two is, when Arango's, well, yeah, when, well, yeah, not I wouldn't, Mus- I mean, not sitter. Musafsi also time. missed a sitter uh, from from another Chicho assist that should have been. Oh, but that was, oh. I mean, that was a great save for Marcinkowski though. But um, I, I will say that the Quakes had like seven attackers on the pitch when Arango scored that goal. It was uh, Fierro, Wando, Cowell, Rios. You know all these all these players all on the pitch at the same time. Trophies as well, obviously. So I mean, it, it was kind of destined that if the Quakes couldn't find a goal, they were going to get countered, and that's exactly what happened when you have fresh legs like Brian Rodriguez against Jackson Ewell, who's been running his butt off in midfield the whole game, and then you know Arango slides in, and uh, yeah, he he couldn't miss, could he? But. Yeah, well, I was, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when we were sitting there watching the game, I kept saying from about the 50, 55th minute on at the latest, bring on Brian Rodriguez for Danny Musovsky for that counterattack specifically because he will be able to beat anybody on the counterattack because there's nobody on the on, on San Jose really at all, uh, much less the back line that's going to be able to catch him. Uh, and, and that's I mean, Kate Cowell could, but he's not a defender, so. Right, and, and, uh, and finally he came on in the 76th minute uh, and did exactly what I expected him to do. But I would have liked to see that sub earlier, if I'm honest, because if there, there was that chance for, during that you know 20 minutes that I think he should have been on for San Jose to equalize, um, and it definitely could have happened. Luckily, it did not. Um, but 
Yeah, as far as player-wise, I mean, Kim Moon-Hwan had a fantastic game uh, on the right wing back. He often is criticized for his uh, defensive failures tracking back because he loves to fly forward. Um, but but he was very good defensively tracking back uh, in this game, probably his best defensive game in an LAFC shirt. Uh, and, and then Marco Farfan, I believe, also deserves a shout-out because he gets a lot of uh, hate for his, his play, but it's because Bob continues to play him out of position. Uh, he is, you know, a, a right back, really a right wing back. And he has been played as a left wing back and a center back primarily in a back three. And that's what he was playing in this game is the third center back in a back yeah, three left center back. Right. And, and he played it extremely well, was consistently reading play very well. Um, and, and, you know, just getting there in, in the right position to make the tackle. So, uh, defensively, a lot better performance from LAFC than than we are used to seeing, uh, especially from those two. So that that was good to see. Um, I mean, I will say just quickly, it, there was the Kim Moon Wan. He uh, saved a goal from Abobasi, uh where Abobasi took a shot. Blackman got a hand to it; it was trickling in, and and Kim got there to clear it. But it was Kim's fault that Abobasi got the ball in the first place. He completely just didn't read. It was there was a a ball that like deflected came in and it was right next to him and he just missed it and, and it went to a Bobasi. But you're right. He did definitely have a much better game than we anticipated. And talking about calling for subs, I wanted Cowell on. Uh, Almeida appeased me, brought him on in, in the 55th minute. The Quakes really ramped up pressure and then that Fierro goal, which was like a deflection off Wando or something, then Fierro taps it in off. Uh, it was off a corner. But that comes, you know, five minutes after Cowell came on. And obviously we threw on Rios and Wando at the same time. But still, you know, the, the, I think... I, I personally, I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Cade Cowell should be starting every game. And I don't care that Kukanovic scored against LAFC, you know, the last time that we played just a couple of weeks ago. Benji Kukanovic is nowhere near the level of Cade Cowell. So I just don't understand it. But, you know, it, it doesn't really matter now. The season's over. I'm resigned to that fact. LAFC season might not be over, Justin, but it might as well. Kind of what are your thoughts right now on, like, what are the odds you know, we talked about odds um, of like on in our first episode, the odds of Harry Kane joining City. Where were the odds? You said like 40, 60 or something. What do you think right now are the odds LAFC make the playoffs considering that, yes, they won this game without Vela and Atuesta, but all the teams that they needed to lose, they all won. Yeah, if I had to give a percentage, probably give somewhere around 30%. Um, I think it's unlikely, but it's it's definitely possible. Uh, it the the one team that I really think is is possible to catch is Minnesota in that seventh spot um, because they have a, a lot of difficult games coming up, including they, yourselves, including ourselves in in, uh, in a week. We get to play them um, in Minnesota, which is going to be a massive massive game. Obviously, you have, you have to win that game. Yeah, of course, but um, there, we have to win probably four of our final five games. Um, which is is a big ask, but it's definitely possible. Um, and Minnesota have essentially all five of their games left are, are difficult games um, that are not going to be easy wins. Playing Philadelphia, then um, then they play us, and then they uh, then they play Vancouver, who are also uh, fighting for that you know playoff spot. They're in eighth, right ahead of LAFC right now, and then they play Sporting Kansas City. And, and Galaxy. So none of those are easy games uh, for, for Minnesota. 
not that LAFC have easy games, but no. we do get to play Dallas um, next. So that, that should be a win. Dallas as a win. And then we go to Minnesota. Seattle is the one that, you know, I think we might, it's just hard to beat Seattle, even at home. They're, they're so good. So it's that one that I think we could, you know, drop points, even lose if we can win the other four. Um, but that's, that's a big ask. Uh, three winning, winning uh, you know, four out of five games, three of them being on the road is not easy. Um, yeah. The, the hope being, you know, we should beat Dallas. Dallas are not a very good team. That should be three points. The big game then Minnesota, uh, if we can win that, that really could could turn the season um, into a into a likely playoff because even if you lose against Seattle, Vancouver you can beat at home, uh, and obviously they're competing against us for the the playoff spot. They're right ahead of us right now, and then Colorado, who is definitely a difficult game. It will be at Colorado, but the hope there is that Colorado has nothing to play for and they don't put out their best eleven because if they're they're currently sitting in. Uh, third place, if I'm not mistaken, and they, yep, they, they don't really have a shot at first. I mean, they really don't. And by by dead by decision day, I'm sure they will not uh, have a sh- spot there. So I mean, it's really just seeding whether they're you know third or fourth or you know right around there. So if they have something to play for, they might put out a good side. Otherwise, they might decide to rest people for playoffs, which would be very beneficial for uh, LAFC. Uh, I would expect Vela and Atuesta to come back for this Minnesota game since it's so large. Uh, I, I not necessarily I mean, for it's Dallas. The season. Yeah, no. I, mean, I, I, every... I think if I think if you don't if you don't beat Minnesota, you're done. I, I, th- I yeah, think I think the Seattle we... game the Seattle game might not end up mattering at all because well, if you got to beat Dallas it, first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's assume that you beat Dallas, which you know, I mean, it's in Dallas, so who knows? But I think most likely you guys are going to be a lot more motivated than they are. Their spirits are going to be low as well, you know, with the news breaking today of Ricardo Pepe, you know, asking for a transfer. And, you know, we've been, we've been hearing about stuff with Wolfsburg for a while now. Anyway, Dallas's morale should be pretty low. You guys should win that. So assuming that you do win that, that Minnesota game becomes the biggest game of the season right there. Because if you win – you have a chance, you have a good chance, you know, especially obviously if you beat Vancouver after the Seattle game. But if you don't beat Minnesota, Justin, it, it, I, it's over. It's over. I just don't think you have a chance, even if you do beat Vancouver, because Vancouver are not in one of those playoff spots. They're on the outside looking in just like you, but they're a place ahead. It's Minnesota who are in that final playoff spot. So if they, you know, get that six-pointer over you, I think you, I think it's called right there. It's over. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I agree completely with what you're saying. I just think it's over if we lose to Dallas. It's over if we lose to Vancouver. It's over if we lose to Colorado. It's over if we lose any of these, really, besides I Seattle. I don't think it's over if you lose to Dallas necessarily if Minnesota oh, and do. Vancouver both lose. No. If we lose to Dallas, our season is over. There's no way we catch well, them well, if we lose to Well, because that means Dallas you'll because... lose to other people. But, I mean, like, well, no, it's, know it's, that. Unless we, unless we beat Seattle at home. We, the, what I said at the beginning is we have to win four of five. It doesn't really matter what those four or five are. I mean, obviously, Minnesota is a little bit more important. Vancouver maybe as well. But four of five is where I stand. And I just think Seattle is the hardest of those um, to win, uh, even though it's at home. But yeah, that, no, so that's, that's why I pick is, out the other the four. Hardest. I think four, four or five is accurate, except that I think mathematically Minnesota has to be one of those four. I think even if you do beat Seattle – and you beat Dallas and you beat Colorado and Vancouver, whatever, 
I still think that if you lose to Minnesota, you're not getting in. I think that's the most important game. So this, like the Seattle game, if you lose to Dallas, the Seattle game is still important because if you beat Minnesota, then you need to beat Seattle and you could still get that done. And, and again, Seattle might not have a lot to play for at that point because they could easily have first place wrapped up by then. So, you know, I still think you could lose to Dallas and have a chance, right? If you lose to Minnesota, you don't have a chance. That's where I stand. Yeah, and, and it is worth pointing out as well that Minnesota – play Carson Galaxy on the final day of the That's season. So it is, wow. it, is, it is very, very, very possible that LAFC fans will be rooting for Galaxy on the final day of the season. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a new one. I don't think we've ever seen that one before. Yeah. So ho- I, I said it on the Voices of the Black and Gold. As much as I don't want to root for Galaxy, I, I kind of hope I'll be rooting for Galaxy because if we're – if we're still in a chance. playoff contention, yeah, exactly. I, if we're still on playoff contention on the final day, then uh, that's that's a good position from where we are right now. Yeah, and then and then it's very possible that you play Galaxy in the playoffs. So that could, that could be interesting. Anyway, I'd rather knock uh, them out, but that works too. <laughs> yeah. Are there any? You have any final thoughts, Justin? Before we wrap up this special episode, my final thought is it was fantastic having you come to the bank. I loved it. And I hope you had a good time. Uh, it was your first time at the bank, even though you couldn't get that win. Um, it was, it was a great time tailgating and, and going to the game together. No. Yeah. I had a great time. It was really fun. I, I thought the kind of the mixed reaction. So there were some LAFC fans who like respected that I was one of the uh, few quakes fans at the game. We'll say, I mean, the ultras were there and I, you know, I love them when the thirty-two fifty-two had like a break in a song, you could hear them. But other than that, but still, you know, respect to them for traveling. But uh, there were also a few LAFC fans who were not so enthused by my attendance, which I thought was quite funny. We both got a chuckle out of it, but yeah, no, it was a great time. And uh, with that, Justin, I think we will call it there. Um, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. Uh, we will see you next week as we will be recapping match week three of the Champions League, which kicks off uh, tomorrow uh, as we record this today as you are listening. Um, so that should be entertaining. And then we've got more Premier League fixtures as well. And, uh, you know, some of the crucial games that LAFC Minnesota game will be having before our next episode. We'll, so we will certainly be talking about that either as, you know, another step in LAFC's potential resurrection or the death of their season and potentially the Bob Bradley era. So look forward to that. Thank you again for listening. Have a great rest of your week.